can be seated. We're considering our series of Once Upon a Marriage, and we'll be jumping to Genesis 29 here in just a moment. We, this morning, I want you to grasp this idea of when we hurry into relationships, it doesn't uh, help our situation. And so we'll be looking at the story of Jacob and his marriage and marriages and how those things cause tension in his life. And Jacob is the grandson to Abraham. We talked about Abraham last week and his marriage to his wife, Sarai, and how that relationship worked. And this morning, so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 29 as we look at the story of Jacob. Now, Jacob is an interesting guy. Jacob is known as a deceiver or a schemer. He was the younger brother to Esau. Now, I mean, younger, but literally by minutes, he was, they were twins, twin brothers, and so he was born just a little bit afterwards, and so not much. But in that world, if you were the younger brother, then you didn't get the birthright, you didn't get inheritance, you were just the second brother, you didn't get anything. And so, um, now Jacob, as the younger son, he was the one that his mom really liked. He was a mama's boy, as we would say, and his mom was Rebecca, and Rebecca loved him and took care of him. And Esau was a daddy's boy. Now Esau was a, was a guy who was a manly man. He, he actually, he smelt, they said he smelt so much like wild game that that was his, uh, his, his cologne of choice. So everybody who would walk around and be like, oh, there goes Esau. Cause he was just a wild man. He was out in the wild hunting. He just had that smell. I guess the, the doe smell. You know what I mean? He just loved being outdoors. And so that was his, his smell. And a manly man. And then you had Jacob, who was kind of, you know, we would call him a metrosexual these days. He he had Christian Dior or whatever the cool thing is that people were wearing. And, and he had his nails done and all that. He was just a different guy. And so you had two different people going on. And here's the, the story of those two. And so Esau was the one that was supposed to get the birthright. He was the one that the Abraham covenant was supposed to go through uh, because his father, uh, Isaac, was the son of Abraham. And so Isaac was going to be passing down that blessing, and that was the lineage through which it was supposed to go. And so, But Rebekah loved Jacob, and she wanted him to have that. And so she was going to make sure that that happened. And so what she did, Jacob and Rebekah came up with a story. Now Isaac is old, and he's, kind of, he's in a place where he's what we would call hospice care. He was being taken care of, but he couldn't see anymore. It was the end of his days, and so it was that time in his life where he was going to be passing on the blessing to what he thought was Esau, and then also give a blessing of, of smaller sorts to Jacob. And so these guys were preparing for that. And so Rebecca said to Esau, hey, son, you're a great hunter. You're preparing this. You need to prepare a stew for your dad so that he can have a meal and then he can bless you after the meal. So why don't you go off on a hunt and, and go do what you do and kill a wild animal and make a stew and then prepare it for your father so he can enjoy a, a last meal with you of sorts. And he's like, okay, good. And so he gets up his gear and he goes out and he goes hunting. Well, in the meantime, Rebecca is deceiving and conniving and scheming with her son, Jacob. And Jacob and the two of them get together. And so while the older brother Esau is out hunting, they have killed a hog and they have made it taste like wild game. I don't know how that happens. I don't know if they went to the store and they got the wild game seasoning or whatever and put it on the pork. That's what they did. And they brought this meal to um, Isaac and they prepared it for him. And he's kind of like, wow, that was a quick trip out to get wild game. I didn't expect you to be back this soon after killing and preparing a meal. But wow, you're you're my favorite son. I knew you could do it. And uh, so that's happening. And so here Jacob and Rebecca are. They're working on this scheme and prepare this meal. And Isaac, man, this is good. And so he enjoyed that. And so he began to talk with his son. And he's like, man, your voice doesn't quite sound like 
uh, Esau's voice, your voice sounds a little bit more like Jacob's voice. And so and Rebecca understood this was probably going to happen. And so she had really worked out the details of this scheme. And so she had actually, she knew that, that Jacob wore a different cologne. And so she covered him up with wild game smell so that whenever he got close, that the father would smell, that he would smell a little bit more like Esau and not Jacob. And he's like, man, you, you smell a little bit like Esau, but I can still smell the cologne. I'm, I'm kind of questioning why would Esau put on cologne? And so he said, hey, listen, why don't you come close enough to where I can touch you? Now, so this is an interesting thing. And so they had gone to the point of they knew that this was going to be a questionable deal so that they actually went and got some wool and put wool on Jacob's arm because apparently Esau was a hairy dude. Now, listen, you can imagine. I mean, how hairy do you have to be that you go shear some sheep so they can put a little thing on you so that when your dad feels you, you go, yeah, that's your older brother. I mean, like, that's a hairy dude, Okay. And so I can understand why maybe Jacob went to this place and got some cleanup and stuff, because he didn't want to be like his brother Esau. And so for that moment, they put this sleeve of extra hair on him, and he puts it before his dad, and his dad feels it and goes, yeah, there's no one else I know that's as hairy as Esau. You're it. And so in that moment, Jacob and Rebekah had worked to deceive and to scheme, and it had worked, and Isaac passed on the blessing. See, in those days, even today, we, we don't talk about it a whole lot, but in those days, words mattered. And so when the father pronounced the blessing and he pronounced the blessing to the son, in that moment, Jacob became the receiver of that blessing, even under the spirit of deception, because words mattered. They were establishing a covenant together in that moment. And Jacob received that covenant blessing and that received from that. In that moment, he became the one that received the blessing. And so now he would be the one to be in the Abraham covenant, that the nations and the covenant would go through him. And so immediately, Rebecca and Jacob remove themselves from the presence of Isaac and, and kind of go in hiding because they know that Esau's coming and they know it's all going to get crazy when Esau comes back because Esau is a manly man and he has a temper. And so Esau has come back from hunting. He's prepared his meal, and he brings it before the father. And he says, hey, Dad, here's the meal. And immediately Isaac realizes, I have been deceived. And he begins to weep, and he says, son, I have passed on my blessing to your younger brother. So you can imagine the discord and the disunity in the home at that moment. So immediately Rebecca says to Jacob, hey, hey, listen, you need to get gone. And I've got a brother named Laban, and he's in a far-off country. You need to go to that place, and you need to find a wife, and you need to begin to set up family there. And, and maybe one day you can come home for Christmas, but it's going to be a few Christmases before you can come home. And he's like, okay. So he got up on his camel and took off, and he went to the far land. And as he's going to the far land, before he enters into the, the country where Laban is at, he lays down, takes a nap. And in the middle of that taking a nap, God shows up and, and reminds him and shows him with more clarity what this blessing is that he's received from his father and that he's the receiver of the covenant and that he will be the one that, that kings and queens and nations will come from. So you can imagine the excitement and the joy that he's like, man, I want to fulfill this. I have, I have needs. I'm a, I'm a young man. And, and interestingly enough, he's another story of failure to launch. He's about 75 years old when he's leaving home. So he's, he's, he's done a little bit of life together. And so he's moving out. And so he's looking forward to a wife. He's looking forward to establishing a family. And that's where we join the reading in Genesis chapter 29, verse 1. The first thing that I want you to get is this, is that when we rush into relationships, 
Because we need someone that is not the right reason to enter into a relationship. It's only going to cause harm. So no need, we don't need someone else to complete us. Jesus is our completer. As we learned about the last few weeks, when God provides, if God provides us a spouse, that spouse isn't a completer of us. It's a suitable helper for us where the two of us as one move toward pursuing Jesus. And when we rush that, it causes discord and disunity. Look at verse 1 of chapter 29. Jacob resumed his journey and went to the eastern country. Now this phrase resumed his journey and the original language literally means he picked up his feet in a hurry. Which meant that he was moving in the direction of fulfilling his own needs, like what he wanted. So he he got up the next morning, he'd received this promise and he was all about fulfilling that promise that he now had this extraordinary need that he thought needed to be filled, and so he was in a hurry to get to it and to have it for himself. Because in that moment, it became all about himself and what he needed and what he wanted, and he was in a hurry to get it. We would never do that, right? We would never get in a hurry to to get that thing with which we need. Then we see that as Jacob got to the eastern country, he arrived at the community center of the day, and the community center of the day was the water well. And they were at the water well on the edge of town, and there were already some other shepherds that were that were there. And Jacob walked up, and he said, "Hey, I'm Jacob. And have you heard of my uncle Laban?" And the shepherds were like, "Yeah, we've heard of him. He's a great guy. He's a wonderful guy. He's a great shepherd, and everybody in town respects him and knows him. He's just a wonderful man, man of God." And uh, he's like, "Awesome." And then the shepherds began to say, "Hey, you know what? He actually has two daughters. He has a daughter Leah, and he has a daughter Rachel." And, as a matter of fact, there's, there's Rachel right there. She's coming over the hill, and uh, Jacob sees her, and he's like, man, she's kind of cute. And so he's asking the question of, of why did these shepherds, why were they just sitting around looking at the water well and not actually having their sheep drink from the well? Because it kind of seemed odd to him, but, but also he saw Rachel, and he's like, hey, God's promised me a woman, and I see a woman coming over here, and this looks like promising, and he doesn't want these other guys to be a part of the whole dance thing. And he's like, hey, you guys go well, go to Whataburger. Y'all get out of here because I want to have a, a conversation with this Rachel girl. And so he's trying to hurry them and convince them that they're lazy by not watering their sheep and getting out. And they're like, hey, listen, we have a covenant together that we do shepherding together. And so we all gather here and we wait to know that if someone doesn't show up, we go out to look for them. It was kind of the, the understanding. And so they're waiting for Rachel to bring the sheep in. And so while they're waiting and he's trying to convince them. And so eventually while they're having this conversation, Rachel comes up and she gets there and Jacob goes, hey, who are you? And she says, Rachel, and I'm the daughter of Laban. And he's like, awesome, cool. This thing's whole lining up like I want. And so what normally would take three or four guys to do, which was to remove the rock from the top of the water well to get drink from it, Jacob had been working out at HT Fitness and at the LaGrange Gym and all these places. And so he goes and he does what guys do when they want to impress a girl and they do things to impress them. And so he lifts off the big thing off the water well by himself and goes to her, look, look what I can do for you, you know? And so, and, and he's, and she's like, mm, you smell good. You smell like Christian Dior or whatever. And, and so he's showing off because he's trying to hurry up this process. This is this natural thing where we are created by that we see somebody and we're attracted to them. It's a good thing. And then the other part of that is that we kind of show off for each other. And so Jacob introduces himself by showing off his muscles and how good he smells. And 
tells her his name. And so whenever she understands that they're family, she runs back to her dad, Laban, and says, Laban, dad, hey, one of our long lost relatives is here. And so let's invite him in. And so Jacob joins into the family and spends some time with the family of Laban. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 29, verse 14 and following. After Jacob had stayed with him a month, Laban said to him, just because you're my relative, should you work for me for nothing? Now, listen, so he'd been hanging out for a month and kind of getting there and enjoying that thing. And so he'd, he'd been 75 years with his mom and dad, and now he's hanging out for a month with Laban. And Laban's this creative guy. He uses language well. And so Laban looks at, at uh, Jacob, and he's like, man, this guy's been here a month. He's eating my food. He's using my Internet. He's doing all this different stuff, and he's talking with my daughters, and he's spending a lot of time with Rachel. I don't, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting nervous. And so I'm going to ask him, like, hey, listen, basically I'm saying, are you going to work? Are you going to get a job? Or are you going to get out of here? was the discussion. And so Jacob and Laban have that discussion, and here's how it goes. He says, hey, uh, you're going to get a job. You should work for me for nothing. Tell me what your wages should be. Now, that's a pretty good job interview, isn't it? I mean, when's the last time that you went to the job interview and you're talking with someone and they're like, hey, man, we're so impressed with you. You, you tell me what you should be making. And you'd be like, yeah, I need 250000 a year or whatever it is. You know, you've got this thing in your head. And so he's giving his wages. And now Laban had two daughters. The older one was named Leah and the younger one was named Rachel. Now, don't forget, God has a great sense of humor Esau was the older brother, and Jacob's the younger brother. God's kind of drawing our attention to this younger, older thing. All right? And so Leah's the older one, and Rachel's the younger one. And so God's drawing our attention to that. And he says, Leah, isn't that a beautiful name? That's a wonderful name. You know what that name means? Wild cow. So none of you are going to name your kid Leah now. And if you did name your kid Leah, you're going to be like, hey, we're going to change her name when we get out of church. Wild cow, right? So that's like, I don't know that I would name my daughter that, but but that was her name. It's a beautiful sounding name, but and that's in those days, that's what it meant. All right. And Leah had tender eyes. Now, that doesn't mean you would naturally you think, hey, listen, she goes to the she wears glasses, she wears bottles or whatever. Literally, it means she was ugly. Her name was Wild Cow, and she was ugly, okay? And so, I mean, it's just not going well for her. And she's the older daughter, all right? And then the next thing, they describe Rachel. But Rachel, and Rachel means you, like E-W-E, which was more of a graceful animal in that day. I don't know that we would still go around calling, oh, you look like a wild animal or anything, but we do. And Rachel was what? Shapely and beautiful. So here you have the older daughter who's named Wild Cow, who has tender eyes, and you have Rachel over here who's everything Jacob has dreamed about. And so he, in that moment, says what? Jacob loved Rachel. He's only known her for a month. He doesn't really know if he loves her, but he sees something about her, and he's like, hey, I... I'm in a hurry. This is what I want. And so after a month, he's in love with this shapely person. So he answered Laban, I'll work for you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, interestingly enough, usually if you didn't have the money to pay, pay the bride price, 
then you would have to work for someone. And usually that was 12 to 18 months. And so here Jacob is saying, listen, your daughter Rachel is so beautiful and I'm so attracted to her and I so want her to be my wife that I'm willing to work over four times the amount of time that any other sane person would do because I want Rachel to be my wife. Now Laban, being the guy he was, was like, man, dude, that's a great deal. I will take you working for me for seven years. I was thinking 12 to 18 months, but seven years is an even better deal for you, you know? And so this is the the covenant that they enter into. How in the world could Jacob know that he loved Rachel after a month? There's no way. He didn't have enough time to know her. But his emotions, his feeling of his need for someone to fulfill a void for himself and the things that he thought he needed, he rushed into a relationship. And when we rush into relationships and we rush into marriage, thinking that marriage will solve our problems and solve our issues, we're all of the time we're going to be wrong. Listen, I meet with couples day after day after day that come to me and say, hey, Pastor Chris, we want to get married. Like, that's exciting. And as they begin to talk about it, they're like, hey, look, let's talk about some of the issues that you possibly have. And they're like, oh, man, we don't, we don't have any issues. We're in love. And, and I'm like, okay, well, tell me about this. And they're like, oh, yeah, this and this and this. And, and as we begin to, to dig into it, that there's these red flags for both of them that have a tendency to go up. And they're thinking, and they say to themselves, yes, there's some issues. Okay, you've brought up, there's some possible issues. There's some red flags here, some red flags here. But when we get married, that will solve those red flags and all those red flags will become white flags because my spouse will surrender to my will. (laughs) And that's what I do. I begin to laugh and I'm like, no, 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 no. As a matter of fact, what's going to happen is those red flags, they become bigger flags of allegiance and people will stamp those things in the ground and say, this is my land and I will have victory. And it may be just stinky socks or putting the toilet seat down, but there will be great fighting over these things. And so in that moment that we think that marriage will solve issues is radically wrong. As a matter of fact, those red flags will not just become, won't become white flags. They'll become bigger flags of allegiance. And so we have to solve those things and to work through those things because character matters. Because see, whenever we think of beautiful and shapely, we think of a picture of someone like this. In those days, this is probably what Jacob saw. His beautiful eyes, beautiful complexion, and is drawn in by her. And listen, when you're 18, you're 19, you're 20, or whatever, and there's physical beauty, and God's done a great job, and that's a part of the natural thing is that we're attracted to people. That's the chemistry thing. Guess what? If you, you were to Google this lady a few years later, she does not look like this. Beauty is fleeting. Outward beauty is fleeting. And what Jacob was drawn to in that moment was a need to be filled by outward beauty and not thinking about the character of the person. And that outward beauty goes away, but the inward character, the red flags that are flashing, you need to solve those things. Because if you don't, there's going to be disunity and division and discord in the household because there's those red flags become flags of allegiance of places and things that you're going to fight over because it's about you and, and the, this impure, this desire, this dream of what you think a marriage will be and not a realistic understanding that we are two companions together moving in the same direction. But whenever marriage starts off on the wrong foot and you rush into things, you don't even know what direction they're heading. You're attracted to something you don't even fully, completely understand. 
And so beauty is fleeting. After a month, how do you know that you're in love? Look, the very next little bit, it says, Then Jacob sought, said to Laban, after his seven years of working, Since my time is complete, give me my wife so I can sleep with her. It's all about his needs and his desires. He thought marriage would solve his issues. So Laban invited all the men of the place and sponsored a feast. Now, in those days, whenever they would get married, that there was a feast. It was at least a week. They would gather together and they would feast together. The entire town would be there and they would celebrate. So it was this great celebration. And so Laban knew this and understood this, and so he used this to his advantage because one of the things that Jacob forgot was there was still Leah was still in the picture. The older sister, and by custom, Leah had to be married off before Rachel could be married off. And Leah is still, after seven years, the tender-eyes young lady is still out there. And so she has to find a suitable helper, and someone has it. So if Jacob was someone of wisdom, he would have been finding a wingman to say, Hey, listen, dude, Rachel, she's mine. I love her. I care for her. But she's got an older sister that she's just as awesome, and she can do acts, and she's this and this and this. You need, you need to like find a wife, and she's a perfect mate. You need to find, because if not, then I don't get to marry Rachel. But he was so enwrapped by his needs and his desires that he forgot what was cultural. When morning, so they had this whole party, and things are going, and that evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and he slept with her. Now you think to yourself, how is this possible? Well, in those days, whenever the bride would come out, as soon as the bride price had been paid and they entered into a covenant together, the bride would literally, she would cover herself from head to toe, and that she would have a, wear a very thick veil, especially on the wedding day and the wedding ceremony, and so that her radiance, her beauty, the time of preparation that she had spent for her wedding night would be in full glory for her husband after the wedding day and after the wedding ceremony. Now, as a part of this, so she's completely covered and wouldn't know, and that, that no one would know who it was or whatever. But then also this other thing is that in those days, during a week-long celebration, they had invented this thing called alcohol. And they would drink and drink and drink and drink. And from what I've told and what I've heard, that after a couple of drinks, you begin to change. All right, And so you begin to think a little bit differently. And things that you maybe you would have thought clearly before, now you don't think as clearly. And things that you thought that you saw one time. And so that your view is distorted. And so what we read in Scripture is that the party was so good that, that Jacob had and taken in some alcohol and his views and his things. He wasn't thinking clearly. And the schemer on the other side, Laban, was like, look, I've got an older daughter that I've got to get rid of. And I can mask her and cover her up and present him to her. And he will receive her as his own, and, and established a covenant by, with her by sleeping with her. And so then look, here's the next verse. It says, when morning came, now so imagine this, there's the wedding night, Jacob and Leah consummate their relationship, okay? And so Leah is up the next morning, she's making bacon and eggs and biscuits and all this different stuff, and Jacob's getting up, and he's like, man, wedding night was great, that's awesome, it's everything I've dreamed about. And then he's getting up to the table, he's getting his coffee, and he sits down at the table, and Lo and behold, coming out of the kitchen to the dining room, it's not Rachel, but it's Leah. And the scripture says, in the morning it was Leah. And he's like, what in the world is this? And so you can imagine what he's thinking. And so he goes to Laban and he calls him on his cell phone and he says, hey, what is this that you've done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you? 
Why have you deceived me? Now, interesting, the man whose character is one of deception and scheming has been schemed and deceived himself. And so he understood exactly what it took. He understood the motives of Laban for this to happen because he had done it himself. He had gotten, he allowed himself in his, in his push to meet his desires and his wants. He had allowed himself to be deceived and his desires to, to meet what he wanted. He allowed himself to be tricked. But here's the other thing is that Leah was on the other side of this and she understood that she was doing it. She willingly received and was a part of the deception. That she too had needs, she too had desires, and she too had spent seven plus years around Jacob and she saw some things about him that were desirable and she wanted him for herself as well. And so even though she knew that he had no eye for her, even though she knew that he had no desire to be her, her husband, she still wanted someone. She still wanted to have a companion. She still wanted to have a mate. And so she was willing to go with and to sell out herself for that experience, for the hope that he would someday love her. I see this all the time. Of people willing to settle and people willing to give up what they know to be right and they see someone and they see something and they're like, man, I'm, I'm willing to give up all these other things so that I can be loved. And that was Rachel's story. Marriage will not solve your issues. As a matter of fact, when we rush into marriage and relationships, it creates division and disunity. Look at verse 29, I mean, chapter 29, verse 31. When we, when we don't seek out when we rush into and our feet hurry to things, we don't seek out companionship and spiritual connection and intimacy with our mate before the wedding night. It creates division and disunity. And Jacob, verse 31, and Jacob did just that. And that was that he had finished the week of celebration. And, and Laban had said to him, hey, if you'll finish this week, I'll give you Rachel and, and you can marry her and move forward. And so he did just that. He finished the week of celebration and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Now, you can imagine, here's Leah, and she's married, and she's excited, and she's thinking, maybe he'll love me, and, and she overhears that conversation on the cell phone, and he's like, listen, why did you give me her? I want Rachel. And so for what should be a week of celebration for her is now probably a week of mourning, because he's now longing for Rachel, he's looking forward to Rachel. And so now for the rest of her marriage, for the rest of her relationship, she's constantly trying to prove herself worthy of his love. Please show me attention. Please show me affection. And she's pursuing that. He's never going to give it to her because his heart is, his mind is, his eyes are set for Rachel. And Laban gave him his daughter as his wife. And Laban gave his slave Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a slave, and Jacob slept with Rachel also. And indeed, what does it say? He loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked another seven years for Rachel. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was unable to conceive. And Leah conceived and gave birth to a son and named him Reuben, for which she said, The Lord has seen my affliction. Surely my husband will love me now. For you see, in those days, that the one thing that as a family to carry on your inheritance, to carry on your lineage, was that you had to have a male son. And so Leah was the one who was the unloved one, was the one that provided the son. 
And so I imagine that she's, there's this tension between Rachel and Leah already and this discord. And now there's this tension about who's going to be with who and who's going to have the first child and who's going to have the son and all this. And so this tension and anxiety begins and continues to grow. And so now Leah, the unloved one, has the first child. And so the name Reuben means he's seen my misery. Literally, God has seen my misery of being unloved. And I hope that I hope that my husband will now love me. Now, Leah has a second son, Simeon, and his name is the one who hears. And it's this idea that, that God hears me and he sees that I want to be loved and I want affection for my husband. And so he provides Simeon. Then she has a third son, Levi, which means to, to feel affection for. That, that she, the affection that she's longing for from her husband that she's not receiving, God is showing to her. So she's getting an understanding through the difficulties of this and, and wanting a man to love her. She's understanding that a man can never complete her, that God is the only one to complete her, but with great agony and with great discord and disunity in her marriage relationship. And the final, the fourth son that she had was Judah, which means my praise comes from the Lord. That she understands and she's come to this place of realization that Jacob will never love her like Rachel. And that the praise and the affection and the attention that she's been looking for from Jacob that he won't show her that it comes from God and God alone. And that the praise that she's looking for from her husband will have to and only can come from God. The only way that she's going to find fulfillment is through her relationship with him. Now in the midst of this, this discord and disunity, as Leah is having children, you can imagine four sons in and Rachel hasn't had any children and she's nervous and like, I am not able to provide for my husband the things and the, what he wants the most. And so she takes things in her own hand and provides her slave to Jacob. And through Bill Howe, they have two children, Dan vindicated. So she's saying, hey, I've been vindicated by this. And then also has a son, Naphtali, which means my struggle with God, my struggle with my husband, my struggle with others to have this family that I so desire. And so you have these two families and the discord that's, that's going on. And now, a little bit further on down in the story in Genesis chapter 30, the oldest son of Leah, he's out and he's doing some work in the fields. And so he's out looking for mandrakes. And mandrakes are, are an uh, aphrodisiac of the day. So we talked about it a little while ago when we talked through Song of Solomon, that apples and raisins and raisin cakes, you know, some of y'all, y'all cleaned out H-E-B when you realized raisin cakes were aphrodisiacs. And so this is that af- raisin cake aphrodisiac type thing. And so he went out and he found some. And here Rachel is, she's back at home and she sees Reuben coming in with this. And so she's hoping, hey, if I can have some of these, then I can provide a son for my husband. And so as she comes back in, she tells uh, Rachel says to Leah, hey, listen, I want your son's mandrakes. Can I have some of those mandrakes? Because you, you, you know what I want. And so in this moment, Leah has a complete control of that relationship. And so look what they say. Reuben went out during the wheat harvest and found some mandrakes in the field. And when he brought them to his mother Leah, Rachel asked, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah replied to her, isn't it enough that you have taken my husband? Now you also want to take my, my son's mandrakes. And so in that, they established a, a little agreement between the, one up, between the two of them. And Jacob spent the next little bit with Leah instead of Rachel. And through that, Leah had two more sons. She had Issachar, which means my reward, and Zebulon, which meant my honor. 
And then through that, after that, after these six sons and actually a daughter, Rachel's womb was opened up, as it says in Scripture. And she was able to have a son named Joseph, which means he adds to us. And so this entire time, because of Jacob's desire, his move and his spirit of hurried, he hurries into a relationship quickly. He hurries into a commitment quickly and gives more than what it even costs or what it should cost for him. That He moves into a marriage, and it's marriage is not for any other reasons than to meet his own needs and to get what he wants. And so he, he rushes this along, and because he rushes it along, there's discord and disunity in his marriage relationship, continually this fighting and this discord. It was so bad that he was willing to go back to the land that he had come from. Because think about this. The disunity and the discord between Rachel and Leah, and then also as a part of this, he's becoming extremely wealthy. Jacob is becoming extremely wealthy. He's working for Laban, but Laban is, is getting a little bit wealthy, but because of this, the agreement that they've established, Jacob's wealth is growing exponentially faster than Laban. So Laban and Laban's sons are like, he's stealing from you. He's scheming. He's a deceiver. He's cheating you. And then Rachel and Leah and the kids and all of the infighting, all of the discord. You can imagine the craziness of that. And so all of that stuff. And then he sees over here, here's where he's come from and his brother's over here. And you can imagine this is about 20 plus years. And so the anger, the bitterness, the frustration of a stolen birthright that he hasn't come home for Christmas in a long time. And so here he is, he's considering leaving a place where he's getting wealthy and everyone is like, wow, this guy is getting rich. He's got Amazon and he's like growing. It's crazy rich. And he's willing to give up all of that because of the disunity and the discord and the marriage to go over to this place where he's pretty sure he's going to die. That's how the vision and discord and rushing into covenant relationships. That's how desperate the situation can get. And I've seen it over and over and over again where there's division and there's discord and there's this unity in a marriage relationship and it's crazy and it's toxic and it's better. People say it's even better. It would be better for me to die than to live in that. Because we rush the timing of a marriage covenant. Students, someday you're going to, hopefully, you think, get married. You're 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and you're going to see someone and you're going to go, wow. God, you did good. And my encouragement to you is to not rush into anything because you at that age, because I've been there, know that you don't even know yourself fully. And don't even know your full needs. And so it's easy to rush into something that you think that that person will complete. You think that that person will give you something that you need. That they'll love you in a way that you need. And you're going to rush into something and it will cause you pain and hurt because you're moving too quickly. Take time. Enjoy companionship. Enjoy friendship. Go out in groups and, and get to know each other. Get to see the red flags. Get to see the good things. And begin to weigh, what is it that I want? Because beauty is fleeting. Listen, I used to have a full head of hair. And on my wedding day, they pointed at my hair. 
because there was like one gone. And the evidence of the quickness of beauty fleeting was already there. Listen, we're going to change. Our outward stuff is going to change. But what's on the inside, the character and the foundation of that character is the thing that's the most important. Don't rush. Single adults don't settle. One of the things that I've talked to many single adults over the years is this desire of I, want to, I would like a helpmate. I would want to be married. I want someone to do life with. And one of the things that we constantly talk about is it's easy to settle. I can find someone, but is that someone going to be a suitable helper for me that the two of us together can move in the same direction? Or will be create a, a marriage and a, unit, a relationship of disunity or of discord? There's plenty of men and women and fish in the sea, but is it the right fish that you want to swim with? Married couples. You know where you're at. It applies to seasons of marriage and of relationships that sometimes it's like, man, it is good. We haven't had a disagreement in a half a day. It is good. I mean, dinner was great. I didn't burn it. She didn't burn it. We ate it and we had a great time. And then there's sometimes it would be easier to move to the land where you know that you might die than to stay here. My challenge to you would be Find someone that you can talk to. Find a counselor. I love that we have a counselor here that you can go talk to because here's one of the things that, that uh, I've even shared recently with, with, with our counselor is like, I'm so glad, and I don't know who goes to see Carly, but I'm so glad that there are people here and in the community that go see her and talk to her and work through things so that when I'm teaching about things like this that you don't know or you don't think or you don't anticipate that I'm talking about you. Because you have a safe place to go beyond even your pastor that can love for you and dig deep into your stuff with you so that those things that you struggle with and you fight for, for this marriage that you want, that you're going to have to fight through some things and you've got somebody that can champions you and fights with you and you don't think that they're preaching about you. Because here's the deal. Each one of us in relationships have issues and struggles. We all have red flags. We all have character things. But God wants us to take time to to pursue and to know one another what companionship looks like so that when we get to the place of entering into a covenant relationship, the baggage is all there. Because you're going to have fights. You're going to have disagreements. But are we? is our desire to move in the same direction of knowing Jesus and pursuing Jesus? You need to know that. And then maybe you're divorced. And that things didn't go well and there was discord and disunion and there was toxicity or whatever. And you ended up in a separated marriage and it's obviously not what you dreamed about when you stood before. And now you're in a place and what I would tell you is wait. Be patient. Don't settle. Learn from the things of the past. Spend some time with counseling. Spend some time learning a little bit more about yourself that in being praying for, if God provides a helpmate again, that it will be an image. It will be everything that I've dreamed about. And yes, and no, it's not going to be perfect. But yes, we're moving now in a direction toward Jesus that maybe you weren't before. And that for all of us, 
the best place to do work, the best place to start fixing things is to draw a circle around ourselves and to say, God, where do you need to do work on me? Yes, there's things wrong with my wife. But yes, there's things more things wrong with me. And so instead of thinking about the things I need to fix with my wife or you need to fix with your husband or whatever, draw a circle around here and let the mirror be here and say, God, the things that I want for my spouse, am I that for my spouse? Am I the man or woman of character? Am I a man or woman that's pursuing Jesus like I want? Let's pray together. Father, we want things when we want them. We rush and move quickly to and from relationships and friendships. Father, we try to manipulate things in our own time, in our own way. And Father, I would just pray for each of us that we would just slow down. That we would spend time getting to know one another. That we would develop deep friendships and deep companionships. And that, Father, that if someone is for us, and that you've set them apart for us as a spouse, as a potential spouse, that we would get to know them as a friend and know who they are and what they're about and, and worry about that. And to know that, yes, God, you have created wonderful beings and that we are drawn to one another through the beauty of your creation, but creation and the beauty of that is fleeting. And it's to be more concerned not with the outward beauty, but the beauty of the character of the one that knows and loves Jesus. Now, Father, even in the midst of our imperfections, that we're pursuing Jesus above all things. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.